There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. And welcome to another thrilling Paranoia podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. I am the publisher of Paranoia Magazine. On the line I have... Hey, it's Ron Patton, editor-in-chief of Paranoia Magazine. Glad to be here, Olaf. Ron, you're so smooth. Thank you very much. You just kind of slide it in there. Hey, I'm Ron Patton. Well, I mean, after all these years, you figure I might as well get something right on here. That's true. And uh, this is the best amateur hour in conspiracy podcasting. Thank you very much. Yeah, we did get that award, right? Yes, we get the best amateur hour. The Fickle Pickle Award. The fickle pickle. The hell yeah. are you I just about? made that up. Sounded good at the time. It did sound good, kind of. For, for sort the of. most amateurish conspiracy podcast. Yeah. Well, well you we know, can start I mean, it. Let's just start it. We'll just. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there are too many people that take it way, way, way too seriously. And I'm just, yeah. that's just not my scene, man. Not my scene. I wear shorts. I, I wear plaid and I, I have an amateur podcast. Okay. But it were popular anyway, so there. We're getting more popular, yes. All right. Big news. What? I I have been paid for a shout-out, Ron. Oh, yeah? What, are you like a celeb or something? I guess I am. I hope not. I I have been paid for a shout-out. Somebody has paid me cash money for a shout-out. Why? That's what I said. I was like, why are you giving me money? Okay, you're giving me money. I'm okay with that. But why? So the obvious question is how much? How much do I, as a conspiracy and and Fortean celebrity, how much do I charge for a shout-out, Ron? What are you thinking? How much do you think I'm I'm charging? I'm thinking, yeah, probably about, I don't know, around 500 bucks. No, you've got to go way lower. Okay, about uh, 50. Let's say 50. No, no, no. You got to go way lower. Uh, five? No, you got to go way lower. Uh, yes, Ron, five, that's right. $2? A $2 bill to be exact. Jeez. I will not take two $1 bills. I require a $2 bill. Why? Do you and, save them? Do you, are you a collector? I do. Oh, okay. They're good luck. Uh, all righty. So, if you want to, if you want to pay me for a shout out, which I think is kind of asinine, but if you would like to pay me for a shout out, I am available. Please send a two dollar bill with your name, because I don't read scripts, <clears throat> to our PO box. It's on the website paranoiamagazine.com. 
Mm-hmm. And for a $2 bill, I will do it. I'll do it for five, and that's <laughs> it. Okay, Ron will do it for a $5 bill. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you figure out in the letter, say this is for Ron or this is for Ola. Although I think it's funny that you're the editor-in-chief and you charge five, and I'm the goddamn publisher, and I charge well, two. Well, the, the deal is I have a sexier voice. you know. No, Ron, I have I, a sexier voice. Uh, well, that's debatable, but we'll have a poll on that at, at a later time. We'll have a yeah, but Yeah, but I'm lumbersexual. <laughs> you got a you gotta what? <laughs> I am a lumbersexual. Oh, okay. So define that, please. I mean, that... I dress... I naturally dress like a lumberjack. Uh-huh. But Mr. Plaid? You're goddamn right. You don't wear jeans, though. Come on. You just I wear do. Shorts. When I dress up, I do. Oh, okay. You know, the most the most that I will get dressed up is to wear jeans on a plaid shirt. Gotcha. I don't do ties. I hate V-necks. Uh-huh. I don't do deck shoes. I hate leather shoes. I wear jeans mm-hmm. and a nice... Qual high quality Carhartt Carhartt please sponsor me a Carhartt shirt no mm-hmm. North Face no Lands End Carhartt because it's farmware yeah it's and lumberware I, and I'm I'm really not a slave to fashion myself so I, I pretty much wear uh, an array of different T-shirts no but... Ron you you wear an array of Ground Zero T-shirts you got no 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 I, I used to have a lot of paranoia t-shirts. I don't have any more paranoia t-shirts. What? Uh, oh, no, I have camp paranoia. I have camp paranoia. Yes. Camp but paranoia. not regular paranoia, the conspiracy reader type t-shirts. They, they got all bloody. Remember, I was in that movie, I South know. And I, I know got shot. shot. And I mean, so there's several t-shirts that are just blood-stained. And so I, maybe we can sell those on eBay. I bet you, you we know, bucks. You you could probably get five or ten bucks for them i'm sure yeah yeah all right i might do that so i have to do my shout out okay go okay gay soup soup. what okay okay soup oh okay sir soup is the name mirror mirror on the wall who's the craziest fucker of them all soup is soup is soup is Okay, that's my shout out. Wow. Ron, we have a guest tonight, I believe. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. Indeed. All right. And he's, uh, you... some, well, he's somebody I've known for, I don't know, about three years now, I'd say. His name is Jake Anderson. And uh, Jake Anderson is a uh, producer, director, writer. Um, He's actually doing a documentary about the Elisa Lamb case. And so That's interesting. Jake, yeah, Jake, welcome to another exciting episode of the Paranoia Podcast. Hey, thank you for thank you for having me. It's a pleasure pleasure to be with you guys. So, we met when was the first time we met? Was that in uh, 2016 uh, or 2017? Yeah, it was about, I think you're right, it was about, uh, I think it was before 2017. We met because uh, your producer on uh, Clyde Lewis's show, and he had me on his show uh, to talk mm-hmm. about the case. And yeah, we just kind of stayed in contact through past that. And then we, 
you know, we hung out at contact in the desert and, and, uh, yeah, we've just stayed in contact, man. You're, you're a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I've gotten you on a few other shows and, uh, the paranoia podcast, of course, that's a, that's yeah. a big deal. It yeah, is. Yeah. That one, that one was really recent. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird how things just weird. kind of flash before your eyes and you don't even realize you're doing it. But, uh, yeah, so Jake, um, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, documentary you're working on? Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, the the documentary is about the Elisa Lam case, which uh, has pretty been pretty um, highly highly covered, particularly on the internet. It's a kind of a strange case in that it hasn't uh, it, it kind of wasn't adopted much by the television crowd, like. Mm-hmm. Nancy Nancy Grace and the traditional true crime heads on the television kind of pass it by, but it kind of formed this kind of cult following online. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of got interested in the case pretty early on. Um, it features a surveillance tape that most people or a lot of people have seen. And this surveillance tape was sent to me. Um, and I just kind of got obsessed with, with the case. And for a while, I was pursuing a book on it. Uh, and then I switched over with my friend, Jared, who's the co-director. And we started pushing for a documentary. And then I kind of flipped back over more recently to a book. And I finished a, a book on it. And that's going to be coming out in March 2020. Um, yeah, this indie indie publisher uh, Kensington, and they kind of specialize in true crime. They're going to put it out, and uh, but yeah, we're still we're still trying to push to get a documentary made, and um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating case. I mean, we can really go down go down a variety of rabbit holes uh, discussing this thing. So, um, Olaf, I don't know if you remember when this occurred, but uh, it was back in 2013. And I, what was the exact date, Jake? When uh, was- the the whatever happened went down uh, January 20 uh, January 30th around midnight, basically February 1st midnight, uh, 2013. Okay, so this is the weird synchronicity. Okay. Um, at that time, I believe that the night of, um, I was in downtown Los Angeles or close to downtown somewhere. And, uh, I went to go see a, uh, uh, Ken Thomas, um, book signing with Skylar Alfgren. And, uh, yeah, so... And the weird thing is, Ken Thomas actually saw her at breakfast, right? Like the day before that happened. Really? And because, Ron, I actually, uh, on your advice, I actually did reach out to Ken, and uh-huh. we, we spoke very briefly. But yeah, I was—he didn't have a, a lot of, you know, I mean, he didn't have any like um, piercing insights into. Right, it, but, but he remembers seeing her. It was freaky because so few people saw her there. So it's really yeah. pretty incredible that he was there mm-hmm. for a conspiracy speech or what uh, his, yeah. his JFK stuff. Yeah, and uh, happened. And I to was see- down there too. <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't know you were there too. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to the hotel, but... Uh, Lucky you. Know, yeah. And actually, um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Phil Ernest, was also supposed to come, and we were just supposed to meet up and, you know, have a drink or something like that. But Phil couldn't make it, unfortunately. But uh, Phil is a uh, uh, director, producer down there. And... Uh, yeah, that was a, a crazy thing. And then, you know, I just remember also seeing that uh, video on YouTube where she's going in and out of the elevator. And, you know, some people were saying, oh, she was seeing a ghost. And then, of course, there were some people who were just saying, you know, she was just uh, schizophrenic. She was talking to well, herself. Let's, let's do this. Why don't, why don't uh, you lay out what we know? you know, what, what actually appears to have occurred on the surface. And then we'll dig down into the nitty gritty of it in case somebody out there hasn't, is unaware of the case. Right. Ron, do you want me to go oh, for it? Bro. Uh, go for it. Yeah. It's, it's the, 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 the surveillance tape is really the starting point of the whole thing for an, uh, chrono chronologically. And, um, I don't know, I guess thematically, it really shaped the, uh, it shaped the the uh, online obsession that was to come with this, and uh, it, it you know it has since spawned so many conspiracy theories. And I, I talk about this in the book that it's, I mean, it it really is almost incredible. I mean, it, it she's up there. I mean, with JFK in terms of how many different weird theories are associated with it. Maybe not maybe not JFK, but but she's up there and. For someone who was just a tourist, she was a tourist from from uh, Canada, from Vancouver, Canada, that went. This, I mean, and this is getting into what we know of the case. She she went on a a tour, uh, a West Coast tour, is what she called it, and basically it was a solo road trip that she was taking. And uh, I, I, you know, learned a lot of this stuff going back retroactively and looking at her her diaries, her online. Her online blogs, actually, she they were public, mm -hmm. public blogs where she described her, you know, her life. And uh, so what people perceive in the surveillance tape as it's it's not schizophrenia. What she had was was bipolar disorder mm -hmm. and um, she had previously been uh, medicated for it. And what what we know is that uh, according to the autopsy, she had gone off of her mood stabilizers and uh, the bipolar medicine, and the only thing she had in her system was an antidepressant. And for people who are, have severe bipolar disorder, it's very, it can be very dangerous to have only an antidepressant in your system. It can, it can cause what's called rapid cycling, which happens to people with bipolar. And the symptoms of bipolar are very disparate and very uh, unique to the individual, but it can cause very, uh, if it's a mixed episode, it can cause very kind of manic, uh, aggressive, uh, morbid activity that it's pretty difficult to explain. Um, but that feeds into what we see on the surveillance tape. The surveillance tape, uh, her, her behavior is, you know, and a lot of people find it very uh, creepy and disturbing. Uh, well, you so know, we should say, She's in an elevator. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is, yeah. This Wait, is a 
surveillance footage from right. the elevator. It's a surveillance footage from the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. It was since renamed Stay on Main, but most people still call it the Cecil Hotel. And this is on the 14th floor of the Cecil Hotel. And yeah, it's in an elevator and it's very blurry, not blurry, but very low quality footage, which kind of adds to this kind of surreal, ethereal feel to it. And she she's she walks into the elevator, um, she presses a bunch of buttons, and then she kind of creeps out and pokes her head out and then jumps back in as though she saw someone, as though she's hiding from someone. And she pins herself up in the corner of the elevator. And uh, it just gets more disturbing from there, her, her behavior. Uh, it, she, she walks out, she makes a bunch of strange gestures. It almost appears like she's talking to someone for a second. Uh, it definitely very much seems like either she feels that someone is pursuing her or someone is near the hallway or in the hallway or she's thinking about someone. And it, it's, it's very, uh, yeah, I've, body language analysts have looked at her behavior and uh, they can't really conclude entirely what's going on, but it definitely, uh, she's throwing out a lot of different kinds of body language signals that makes it difficult to analyze it. Um, but it, it's a, it's a very creepy surveillance tape and, yeah, it's there's there's definitely some most likely some mental illness going on, which is something I talk about a lot in the book because uh, I mean uh, people definitely like to interpret mental illness as a kind of paranormal thing that happens a lot. Um, so there's three kind of narratives going on simultaneously. There's mental illness. There's the possibility of a homicide. And then there is the paranormal angle, the, the hotel, the Cecil Hotel, it has an almost unrivaled history of strange, macabre uh, murders, suicides, uh, two different serial killers have lived there. One of which, Richard Ramirez, or the Night Stalker, <laughs> lived, lived on that floor. He lived on the 14th floor where, mm -hmm. that, where the surveillance video was filmed. So... <clears throat> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of narratives here. So she's on the elevator, she's acting weird, then she gets off the elevator, if I remember correctly, and then she disappears. Right. Right. Yeah. She walks off and disappears, and, um, and then they they find her a couple of days later dead. Right. In the water in the water tank on the top of the on the top of the roof. Right. They uh, they found her body. Uh, and, the, and the only way they found her body, this was after the police had done two searches of of the hotel and the roof. They found her body on the water cistern of the roof. And the only way they found it was because uh, people started complaining about the water. And uh, they started, uh, guests started turning on their faucets and getting dark water, uh, uh, weird globules. It almost looked like red blood cells in their water. Uh, and so everyone started complaining about the water. And so the maintenance worker went to the roof and looked in and, and, and found her body. Mm. Very, very morbid, uh, very, very sad, very tragic. And, uh, you know, uh, so I got kind of obsessed with the case and I really wanted to figure out what had actually happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a real... 
real mind boggler this case and I, I, I yeah at first I was skeptical uh, of, of some of these theories uh, particularly I was a little skeptical of, of murder because there was no evidence for it and it's people kept saying well it's not physically possible for her to have gotten on the roof mm-hmm. um, and she was also naked you know and so when when you find a, a young woman naked and dead in a water tank on the roof of a hotel. Pretty of, of course, yeah, your first impulse immediately is going to be, okay, there's foul play here. Right. But the, the police ultimately ruled that out because the autopsy did not turn up any uh, physical evidence, at least lesions or the kinds of defensive wounds you would see in someone who's fighting back from an assailant. Uh, the police did not process a rape kit though which is strange because the coroner's department collected the evidence for a rape kit and the police did not process it hmm. strange yeah there's a lot of anomalies you know i'm going to try and get into them organically here but there is a lot of just really strange stuff with this case mm-hmm. wasn't there some element of like predictive programming with this too um i heard there was a like a japanese movie that um, was yeah. actually on prior to this actually happening, and it had this woman who died in a water tank or something like that. It was- yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> the case features a lot of synchronicities. Right, um, just a really inordinate number of them. But do you know what uh, movie yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I just don't remember yeah. it. But I Definitely. remember when you were on Ground Zero, we touched upon that. Right. And it just seems so eerily uh, similar to, you know, what she allegedly went through. Yeah, there were there was a, a Japanese movie in, I think, 2005 called Dark Dark Water. That's it. Yeah. And then right. there was an American remake of it, I think, a couple years later. And these movies, uh, particularly the American remake, features a lot of really strange uh, kind of synchronistic overlaps with the case. Uh, uh, first of all, there's a, a couple, there's a character named uh, Ceci. There is a character named Dahlia. And uh, Dahlia, oh. the, the black Dahlia, of course, a lot of people think she visited the Cecil Hotel the night she was killed. Um, but more more importantly, there there's... Uh, uh, there's a, a the, the movie features uh, a young girl with a with a red jacket uh, going up to a water tank on the top of a hotel, and she falls in the water tank, and then the water starts leaking down into the hotel, um, which is is pretty similar uh, to what happened, and um, yeah, so that's that's one of the synchronicities, and as far as uh, you know, predict, predictive programming. I mean, yeah, there, that's that's a conspiracy that's out there, and and uh, one of the main ways that that really got into the conspiracy groove online, particularly in Reddit subgroups and the site WebSleuths, where people really started to go to town on this case. And one of the things they found was that there was an outbreak of tuberculosis in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, during those weeks, uh, during that period of time in which Elisa went. And it was such a, a, a pronounced case of tuberculosis that they, the, 
CDC actually uh, dispatched a team of like federal scientists to go to downtown Los Angeles and figure out why are all these homeless people getting tuberculosis. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things that's almost just unbelievable. But the name of the test that they use to test for uh, tuberculosis, this particular strain of tuberculosis, is called the Lam-Elisa test. Literally, her name in reverse, spelled exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. And this test was created before you know, Elisa, probably, uh, you know, at least a decade before. And it's just mm-hmm. this weird kind of improbability that, that that would somehow come up at the same time she was there. Mm-hmm. And the test was developed at the University of British Columbia, where Elisa went to school. That is crazy. It's That's just, nuts. I mean, it's just almost astronomically improbable that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And there's other synchronicities, too. Uh, there's uh, Aleister Crowley. Um, there's, an Al- of course, every, every conspiracy in history has some kind of overlap with Aleister Crowley. But he, he wrote a poem while staying at the Cecil Hotel in London that has some lines that almost seem like they predict uh, what happened to her. And then, of course, Aleister Crowley developed the a theology uh, where... it was, the central text is called the Lamb Statement, and they're basically his group believed that there was an interdimensional interdimensional being. Yeah, and he, co- he called Lamb, L-A-M. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's alien. Just, that was like his spirit guide that looked like an alien. Right. Yeah. So there is just I don't know. It's it's like this case with some kind of like dark vortex where all these like weird narratives intersected at the same time and uh i went and stayed there a couple times and uh by myself yeah <laughs> and that, that that was not a not a good decision uh Why? what happened dude well it's you know i'm not the kind of person i don't i don't get creeped out very easily at all right uh you know i I just, I just don't, I, I don't go into a place and start thinking about ghosts and demons, and I, I, don't, I don't find myself getting really spooked very often. But mm-hmm. from the moment I walked in there, uh, I felt this just overwhelming claustrophobic anxiety mm-hmm. that followed me all the way up to my room, and even while I was sleeping, I was. I was barely even sleeping. I was barely even slipping into REM sleep because I was so convinced that someone was going to come into that room and kill me or that someone something was going to kill me while I was staying there. I had utterly wackadoodle dreams. Um, it was just, I don't know. It's, and it, I, I was trying to reconcile it because I didn't want to introduce this kind of paranoid uh <laughs> you know, narrative that, you know, into the book where I didn't want to distract from, you know, I I didn't want to suggest to people that uh, there was something more going on here than there was. But over time, I had to accept that maybe there there was because uh, when I started investigating the case, I started experiencing a, a lot of synchronicities myself. And they were always occurring when I was working on the case. Uh, just very strange 
overlaps, strange synchronicities. And, you know, I finally just had to admit to myself that it's possible that there is some way that I think a place or a building where a lot of horrible things happen, if, you know, if consciousness can, is somehow embedded into the universe at some kind of quantum level, that maybe there's a way in which negative trauma from the past can stick around relics or remnants of, right. of, of trauma. Yeah, it's can, residual trauma. Right, residual trauma can stick around because there was no other way I could explain it. Like I was going through like a really rough time at the period. I was mm-hmm. just not in a good headspace to begin with. But, you know, normally I was able to compose myself and, and not lapse into just existential despair. But when I visited this hotel, I really felt like something was 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 putting its hooks into me and and was trying to get into my thoughts and that that's one of the thing things I discuss in the book is so the the day Elisa died she she was a big Tumblr user and she posted an image on Tumblr of a body falling from a building and that's one of the things about this hotel is at least 15 different people have jumped out the windows to kill themselves uh, it's it's just one of those things where a lot of people have committed suicide at that hotel, and one of the ways they've done it is by jumping out the window. And mm-hmm. here, she, and here she, the day she dies, posts an image of a body falling. Isn't isn't that the hotel that they used as the archetype for horror hotel? The right, American Horror Story. Yes, horror they stuff? did. Yeah, with Lady yeah. Gaga. Yeah. Yeah. I think they based it on the Cecil. Yeah. yeah, they they did. They absolutely yeah. did. And uh, so yeah, it's it's got that morbid reputation. Bad juju. Bad juju. And another uh, a psychic I talked to who uh, she uh, this psychic I found who would actually was in the hotel the week Elisa was there. Like she was in the hotel at the same time Elisa was, but she didn't know until afterwards who uh, what happened and she didn't have any prior knowledge about the history of the hotel so it was kind of like a, a double blind study and she reported she wrote a, a blog post on it and then I talked to her about it and she basically when she was there she had a ton of weird paranormal experiences but but one of them was that she felt something it was almost like something was inserting thoughts into her head where she felt compelled to go to the window and she almost felt like something was trying to convince her to jump out the window. Yeah. And I, I felt that too. I, I felt this just weird uh, sense of something. And yeah, it kind of started to freak me out. Uh, so fortunately, the ho- hotel's closed now. It, it may be cursed. And the hotel's closed now because they're doing renovations. And guess, yeah, guess what a couple of their renovations are? Uh, surely not portending a future curse or tragedy. They're going to build a pool and a bar on that roof. Nice. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, know, you know, in a paranormal sense, when you have a place like that and you do renovations, that seems to stir it up even more. So right. we'll see how that goes. I definitely won't be staying there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I, uh, actually I might. <laughs> well, we wanted to go. In fact, I think uh Clyde Clyde really wanted to go. In fact, we were going to film him uh going to the Cecil with with you and probably 
possibly with someone else. But uh, unfortunately, they they you know they close it down, and there are still people that live there. There's full time uh, residents that that still live there. They have a special key to get in, but it's closed to any outside guests. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so in in all your research, I mean, what do you think is most likely the the scenario that went down? So she's on a road trip. She goes off her meds. She's on a road trip. She ends up at the Cecil Hotel. I mean, what do you, based on what you've researched, what do you think is the probable scenario? All right. So I went through. Yeah, I I cover in the book. I cover uh, the three different narratives, uh, which are mental illness homicide and paranormal. And when I started, um, I really was leaning more towards, uh, as much as I hate to di- agree with with uh, the official narrative of something, especially when it's sketchy, which this one is, and I'll explain why, uh, I was more inclined to think that it was an accident. Um, uh, I, I read all of her her blogs, hundreds of pages of her writing, and it really did seem like her bipolar disorder was was getting worse. It was becoming more of a dominant part of her life. And I, I, I empathize with that narrative because uh, bipolar actually runs in my family. My my aunt had it, and it, it actually took, took her life. And I've had a couple friends who have almost died from it, too. It's, it's a very... Uh, poorly understood disease that millions of Americans have, and uh, it's you know just really really tragic. But I was more inclined to think that she did climb up there herself, and uh, you know because I even tested the 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 sides of the building. There there is a there is a ladder. She didn't have one of the big mis- misconceptions is that people think well she couldn't have gone through. The, the door because there was an alarm on it and it would have it would have alerted it would have tripped right okay so a couple of things here one I don't think the alarm was working and I also think that well okay I'm getting ahead of myself uh, it was possible for her to get on the roof and originally it was reported that the lid to the water tank was was up was open which to me signals that she climbed in herself because if you climb into the tank you're not going to be able to put the lid back over yourself whereas if someone's putting a body in the tank you're not going to leave leave the lid off or up you're going to put it back over right so i i went into it thinking okay this is probably an accident uh but i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into it further but so i really you know i really went to town on this uh i i you know i hired some uh, private investigators and investigative journalists to help me. And wow. basically, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's more, you know, uh, I think more was going on than, than we, we've heard reported. And unfortunately, it's very difficult to come to find a firm conclusion on this because the LAPD will just absolutely not talk about it. Um, and the Cecil Hotel will not talk about it. And the family will not talk about it. Now, in the family's case, I can understand why. They were besieged by web sleuths and ultimately had to move out of Vancouver because they were getting harassed so much, which is really, uh, you know, sad. Yeah. Uh, 
But in the case of the hotel and the police, uh, I'm sorry, there's just no excuse. If the case is closed, they closed the case. They said it was an accident. There's no reason why you can't answer a few basic questions. And some of those questions are, why are there huge cuts in the time code of the surveillance video? Right. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, very, and, and it's hard to tell because, because the time code is very muddled. It looks kind of like alien Sanskrit. It's just very, just horrible time code, which doesn't make sense because the whole point of surveillance is time code because it's, it's used in court quite frequently, quite frequently. But the time code is messed up. But one thing you can tell for certain is that there's a certain point in the tape where the minute hand changes twice in seven seconds, and it's right after she leaves the frame, which is the perfect time to cut something because you won't be able to tell that anything has changed. Uh, so now, could have been a motion-activated surveillance? Definitely, very possible. But I found other things. I found discrepancies in uh, testimony. Um, I, I managed to speak to a family member of the guy who found the body that you know, just very strange things were coming to light. And I'm not going to, it'll, it would take forever to go into them here, but you know, when the book comes out, people can read them. But basically I, I, I do, I do think that someone was with her on the roof that night. I think that someone helped, uh, allowed her access to the roof. And I don't buy the autopsy because we had a forensics expert, uh, do an analysis of the uh, the autopsy, and basically, what he concluded is that first of all, it's it's I don't understand how they even concluded that she drowned. There is no water in her stomach. There's no water in her lungs, mm-hmm. and she was found floating face up, which is very unusual in drowning cases. Usually, drowning victims are floating face down. And there's other things they didn't test for, things that would help rule out uh, foul play. They didn't, they didn't test her sinuses. They didn't test her, uh, a bone in her neck that is uh, you know, typically damaged in drowning cases. Uh, it, it's just, a, it was a very, uh, an, there's a lot of anomalies in the autopsy. And the guy who conduct, conducted the autopsy, was within within a year or two of that case of that autopsy, he was sued for fabricating a cause of death, falsifying an autopsy. Yeah, now it starts getting a little trickier. I mean, yeah, from how it was originally and how you felt about it, and then you know coming across all these, uh, you know, Things with the the police and, and with the hotel. I don't that, know. I mean, not having water in her lungs. That's yeah. I don't know how you drown if you don't have All water. Inaccuracies for sure. Yeah. The the only way you can drown, uh, there there is something called dry drowning, which is you kind of you don't open your mouth and you kind of suffocate without actually taking in water. But even then, usually there's water in your stomach, and. Mm-hmm. And usually there's uh, water in your sinuses, and they didn't test for that, so we don't know. Mm-hmm. But there's just uh, and 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 they didn't they didn't run the rape kit, um, they didn't run the fingernail kit, um, and I talked to a a police officer that was there. He since moved to Wisconsin, and he's the chief of police of Wisconsin. 
And he t- he told me that when he showed up at the scene, the the lid was closed. Now, it's possible that the guy who found the body um, put the lid back on, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm sorry if if I'm at a ho- if if I find a body. I'm going to leave everything exactly like it is. Yeah, you don't want to disturb the evidence. Yeah. No, no, I'm not touching anything. I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm leaving as fast as I can. (laughs) Right. And, and, uh, you know, I found out additional things about about him that uh, makes me think that uh, he might have perjured himself in his civil deposition on the case. And uh, I just... I don't know. The case is very, um, it's very suspicious and fishy. The, the hotel itself was finalizing a deal with a multi-million dollar, uh, huge investment company. The very week that this went down, mm-hmm. they, they, they finalized the paperwork like three days after her body was found. So one theory is that, uh, maybe she died elsewhere in the hotel, and the executive said, "No, we can't have a body found this week." You know, yeah. right. uh, and so there's a chance it was a body dump, which is that she died elsewhere and she was put in the water tank. I, I don't, I don't know why they would put a body in uh, a water tank uh, of a hotel, knowing it would damage the drinking water, but. You know, I'm also not going to speculate too much on the thought process or motives of people that would hide a body in the first place. Yeah, especially um, if they had to do it in a hastily manner. You know, right. like, you got to get rid of this body. Where do we put it? Okay. Throw it in the water. And put it in a water tank. Right. Yeah. It, but, you know, it just at the end of the day, uh, she, you know, she could have been having a, I mean, I think she was having a mixed episode based on her, her body language and based on uh what the autopsy tells us about what meds were in her system of course it's hard to trust the autopsy in my opinion but uh we we do know what meds she was taking so there is definitely precedent for her having um a mixed episode and you know i I read a lot of forum uh forums of, of people talking about bipolar and um the kind of uh really irrational behavior it can induce is it possible she climbed up there and took her clothes off and for some reason decided she was going to skinny dip in a water tank? Uh, it's possible, but man, I don't know. It's it's dark up there. I don't yeah, I don't I don't I don't see someone going up there, uh, a, a foreigner from out of town going up there, very dark and finding some random tank and how how is she even going to know there's water in there you know like where did where did they find her clothes the clothes were in the tank with her that's weird yeah so she would have jumped in with her clothes on and taken them off or she would have stripped naked and dumped her clothes in there and then jumped in the tank right that's two possibilities one is that's... that she she wanted to get in the tank naked and then maybe the clothes fell in after her, or she went in fully clothed and then realized she wasn't going to go out, be able to come out, and in terror, realizing she was going to have to tread water for a while, took her clothes off to so they wouldn't weigh her down as much. Uh, I don't know. I think it's possibly more likely maybe she had uh, 
she, you know, she had already been a, a nuisance while there. They, she was act, apparently she was acting very strange and she was rooming with two people, two people that have not reappeared or spoken about it at all. But what the hotel, what the hotel says is that these roommates complained about her behavior and wanted her removed from the room. So is it possible she climbed up there, took her clothes off, went in the tank, and then maybe a security guard came up, realized that this same person who had been giving them all this trouble had climbed in the tank, pushed the clothes in. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's hard to speculate, but there's really no narrative that makes sense right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. A lot of mystery attached to that. And there's there's nothing else in her writings about the road trip that that is odd. It's all pretty straightforward. There's nothing. Uh, well, I mean, there are odd things, but they're more just kind of idios personality idiosyncrasies. There's no, I looked really hard to see, for example, was she meeting someone there? Um, but why? First of all, why did she stop in L.A.? Um, did she meet someone while she was there? Uh, and I, I, you know, was she catfished? I don't know. I, 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 I didn't, there's, I mean, I know I did, there's nothing in there that would suggest that. In fact, she really stopped blogging right when she got to LA. Mm -hmm. Well, how did she get those two, uh, roommates? I mean, it's a good question. Uh, no one really knows. Uh, they might've been people she met on the bus on the way over there. Um, gotcha. They could have been. Uh, one report I heard was that they were fellow. They were Chinese, and so there was maybe a, a cultural affinity there. And and you know she didn't want to be alone, so she roomed with them. But you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's truly incredible to me that um, there hasn't been there. There's not any information on these roommates. Um, the police just really did not want to release any additional information about the case, and. Um, you know, I, I there's a long history of corruption and cover-ups in the LAPD, unfortunately, um, and it's still going on. There's still a lot of really just corrupt police work going on there. And one one report I heard from from a source of mine who uh, worked with a supposedly a private investigator who worked with the police on the case. This person claims that there were very uh, strange and inappropriate meetings between Cecil Hotel executives and the police during this time, mm -hmm. during the investigation. Um, <clears throat> perhaps, a, you know, here's some money, sweep this under the rug type of thing. Right. I don't know. I wish I, ha I wish I had a definitive answer. I don't. I will say that whereas I went into the case thinking it was, you know, 60-40 an accident, I'm now leaning, you know, more like 80-20, some kind of foul play. Right. And some sort of uh, cover-up that has a lot more questions than answers. Right. And we have a... Uh, uh, mutual friend who was in law enforcement was he of any help to you at all oh you mean john carmen yeah yeah i actually i worked with him a lot and uh yeah john carmen is a very interesting yeah former dude. secret service guy former yeah u.s customs uh worked in police department down in san diego uh yeah. 
He has a very thorough law enforcement background. What did he think about the case? Yeah, I learned a lot from John uh, on a variety of, of things. He's 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 very eccentric, and you know he's very. Uh, but he, yeah, he know he knows his stuff on on legal procedures, right? And right. Uh, you know he will. I mean, he absolutely thinks that she was killed. I mean, he, there's no there's no doubt in his head. And uh, you know, but he also really kind of went down the rabbit hole with some of the paranormal stuff too. Towards the end, he was he was trying to hook me not hook me up, but he was trying to connect me with uh, psychics who could do remote viewing sessions. Yeah. Uh, to try and and try and figure it out and uh yeah i don't i don't uh you know we didn't come to a conclusion together but uh he i mean he absolutely based on uh, some of the evidence i found i mean he absolutely was he was trying to convince me to write a letter to the uh, attorney general of california to try and reopen the case and mm -hmm. i don't i don't think it's over i mean uh i the document we're still working on the documentary and i, I you know we're going to be working on it for at least another year and i i don't think i don't think my time with john carmen is done yet in terms of of looking into this case but uh yeah he but yeah john was a very uh he's a very interesting person to work with he's got a lot of stories oh yeah Indeed, he does. So, are you tr are you trying to uh, release the documentary and the book around the same time? Was that your plan? Uh, it's not a plan. It could work out like that, but uh, it's you know, I, I don't know how it's going to work out yet. We're still trying to find a, a, a development partner or a, a, a studio that wants to fund the rest of it, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's going to be necessary because you know, it, there's just too many anomalies and there's too much of of a cover-up going on i don't know any other way to put it at this point but mm -hmm. um you know when you have when there's so little to work with you really have to you really have to get boots on the ground and uh you know infiltrate uh, people who live there and i i started the process i i uh, interviewed a, a woman who used to live there who says that the employees there would regularly not regularly but they they would you know sexually assault female tenants there and um you know they would uh extort uh low-income tenants saying you know hey uh if we find we're going to keep your deposit you know basically kick them out keep their deposit and say you know if you if you say anything, we're going to plant drugs on you. you know, it was just like really, really corrupt stuff was going on in that hotel for decades. Right. So it was a place where you could rent for one night or a week or a month, that type of deal. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, two different serial killers lived there. Uh, Richard Ramirez and then Jack Unterweger uh, would bring prostitutes back to his room and kill them <laughs> uh kill them while they were there uh he wow. would fashion these really meticulously ligatured nooses made out of their bras and and that's how he killed people wow. uh, so there's just there's just a bad history in that place and uh you know it's i i can't recommend anyone staying there unfortunately
No, right. Especially the 14th floor. Right, yeah. Stay out of the 14th floor. Yeah. Stay out of the, all the upper floors, actually. Really? But, I guess yeah. from the jumpers, too. Yeah. Boy. It's, it's a crazy case, guys. I, I don't, you know... I I'm I'm closer to understanding what happened there, but there's there's still a lot of uh, a lot of mystery there, and uh, you know it's one of those cases that might just not ever be solved. Right. So yeah, well I hope you're able to get the documentary done soon because I know there's a lot of people out there that have been following the case, and then they've also been kind of keeping tabs on you. Right. Latest developments when it comes to both your film and this book, and I also understand you're in the process of writing another book. Uh, I have a few ideas I'm noodling with. Um, I uh, I really wanted to write about um, you know we've spoken about mind control before, and um, I really wanted to look into the Aaron Alexis uh, case. Uh, he's the the Navy Yard shooter, who uh, sketched into his gun "Elf," which and uh, stands for you know electronic low frequencies, and he periodically would tell his family members, "I I think that there are voices coming to me through the walls," and um, so I really wanted to look into whether there's anything there uh, as far as um, you know. Uh, signals going out um, that are corralling people or perhaps unlocking Manchurian candidates who will, you know, carry out actions. Um, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying for sure it happened, but uh, right. that, that's a subject I would, I would definitely like to go into. Right. And I can maybe help you with that to some extent. Yeah. It's uh, involved in doing some research for a book that was written by Marie Jones called Mind Wars. And it's sort of like a history of uh, mind control. and uh, But I think there really needs to be a book about sort of the modern day form of mind control, which entails what's referred to as electronic harassment. Yes. It's of uh, directed energy weapons. And so a lot of these type of uh, so-called uh, non-ionizing non-invasive weapons were developed uh, under the auspices of Colonel John Alexander in San Sandia Labs and also Los Alamos National Laboratories. So he was sort of like spearheaded that. And I actually got to meet the guy at the uh, UFO Congress conference. So, yeah, yeah, Ron, I, I, I mean, you you know a lot more on that stuff than I do, actually. I mean, we, we right. spoke about collaborating on that. I, I would really love to develop uh, something on that because there's there's all kinds of, of mind control going on that, that isn't even covert. It's just the way the media, um, uh, the way the media pushes things into our heads, pushes narratives into our heads. And well, it's it's media. It's also advertising. Right. And yes. a lot of people don't. Uh, take that into consideration. And there's a, a really good um, series. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It was actually a cassette tape that was put together, I think, in the early 90s called uh, uh, Mind Control in America, I believe, by Stephen Jacobson, who uh, he and his father were like some of the leading advertisers in the country. And so they knew all the tricks of the trade, so to speak. 
and how to persuade people, you know, to buying things. Absolutely. And, and, and didn't you tell me, I mean, we spoke about neuro-linguistic programming too. Right. That's something that he, he really got into is the NLP and then also the, the use of uh, subliminals through, you know, photographs and pictures and films. And right. so, uh, there's such a wide uh, gamut, a wide array of uh, different forms of mind control that people just really aren't privy to. And then, you know, you just, you can just uh, have electro smog, you know, from your Wi-Fi right. or from your electrical lines or whatever that will have some impact on your brainwave patterns. Yeah. But, sure, uh, sure. Brainwave, brainwave pattern. Yeah. yeah there, there's all kinds of, I mean, it, it's, it's absurd to think that they're not, doing that or at least trying to do that i mean that we they've been doing covert darpa and other agencies of the government have been doing mind control experiments all the going back all the way to mk ultra and and all that stuff they they were they were experimenting on that before the 60s it's it's utterly it's utterly absurd to think that they have not evolved those techniques and involve evolved new techniques for the digital age Mm-hmm. And as far as like sleeper assassins, you know, they had to do a little bit more work. But now with through the use of um, electronics, especially utilizing a microwave carrier, they, they can uh, embed, uh, you know, voices, what they call V2K or voice of skull type technology to right. where you'll hear you'll hear voices. And right. there's an actual patent on this, too, that. Uh, people can find on the internet. And uh, there's something also called a neurophone, which sort of mimics that. You, you put it up close to your skin and then you'll hear these voices in your head. <laughs> right. So you, so. so you take some people that may already be hearing voices because of various mental illnesses. Right. Oh, yeah. And then that just exasperate, exasperates uh, exasperate. and uh, ma makes them uh, even more insane or whatever. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that might be diagnosed with something, you know, like schizophrenia or whatever. But then you just amp it up and they can actually I met a guy back in Olympia, Washington a few years ago who was uh, he was in the army and he said his family had a uh, history of mental health issues, schizophrenia. Um, and his brother was hearing voices and unfortunately his, his brother committed suicide. And he was, he heard voices off and on, but then um, all of a sudden he was hearing voices all the time. But he said, it's not like it was before. He goes, this isn't from my mind making this up. This is directed toward me. You right. know? I mean, he was able to, and I, you know, I just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know. And he's, he said that he was being uh, messed with when he was in the military. And they already knew what he had, but they were just trying to, for whatever reason, make him do certain things he really didn't want to do. Well, it also provides the perfect cover. If, yeah. if, if, so, if someone has a clinical history of schizophrenia or other kinds of mental illness, other disassociative affective disorders, right. uh, very few people are going to question whether or not there could have been you know, additional exacerbators on that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... Yeah, I think that's a really good topic for you to cover. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, you know, helping you out any way I can. 
I look forward to reading it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, did you ever get that uh, book, or did I ever send you some stuff on MK Zine? You at you actually you did give me you gave me a, a couple MK Zines uh, and several paranoias, and I consumed those voraciously. Yeah. Uh, we actually have an MK Zine book too, don't we? We do. Yes, nice. we have an MK Zine book, <laughs> and that was uh, some of the. Um, magazines that i had put together back in 2003 2004 along with some newsletters so all compiled into a nice book dealing with coercive mind control and invasive human experimentation but um yeah there there's so much more that can be uh written on the subject matter and again i think uh, uh the whole thing about uh, electronic uh it's actually electronic torture right it is and uh you know there's another aspect of it um that really fascinated me a few years ago there's a book by dr robert duncan called soul catcher and, and oh yeah i've heard of that yeah and he worked with darpa and he, he was um he he wrote the book because you know part of what he was involved with uh, had to do with this like cybernetic type of uh, technology where they were actually able to map the mind or mind hack and then map it and then upload the mind with a, a totally different reality. So Jeez. a person That's be wild. walking around seeing something totally different than what, you know, normal reality is. And well, it, it, I know two people that this happened to. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I think I mean think about how how this could proceed in the future when people start getting uh, implants for augmented reality when they get implants for you know enhanced cognition and stuff mm -hmm. and you, the government already can hack into smart cars right and they can hack into a lot of electronic devices I mean think I mean we're giving them a straight conduit into our, our we're going to be giving them a straight conduit into our brains in the next 20 years so the, the, the i mean the future of mind control really is just a, a scary it's a scary subject well and then you couple it with ai oh right yeah 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 it gets, that, <clears throat> it's really really scary yeah if you had an ai go out of control and it can upload itself into uh into somebody's brain sure yeah body. I hadn't even thought about that but yeah it's it's uh you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, was fodder for science fiction writers like Philip K. Dick mm -hmm. and whatnot. But I mean, it's it's getting to the point where I mean, it will get to the point, I think, where science fiction just doesn't even exist anymore because reality is going to slow so closely approximate it that mm -hmm. it won't even there won't even be science fiction. It'll just be uh, current affairs. Yeah, well, we're going to reach a future shock threshold. Where the tech, well, in, in the sense that, you know, technology is so, so far advanced from what we know. But well, it already is. It I seems mean, like, it, but it seems like it's um, catching up exponentially and people are more and more aware of or what's what's out there, I guess. Well, and in the, like, how in far the can it go? How far can technology go? Well, in the early 90s, it was this cyber, cyberpunk movement, right? And that's. Yeah. That was a basic idea that <clears throat> they called it wetware, 
and you could you could put plugs into your neck or your wrist or whatever yeah. plug yourself into your gun your car your mm-hmm. airplane you could down like the matrix right you could download how to fly an airplane or how to yeah. speak a language or whatever kind of like johnny mnemonic was that that's, that? right that's yeah. Where it comes from, yeah. <laughs> yeah johnny mnemonic is is cyberpunk yeah <clears throat> well i'll tell you it's been an, a very interesting episode <clears throat> so why don't you tell our listeners where can they find your stuff Okay. Uh, well, I run a, a website called The Ghost Diaries, uh, theghostdiaries.com, and I cover, you know, it's pretty much all over the map. I, I, I'm kind of veering a little bit more into true crime these days, but, you know, I have all kinds of paranormal articles on there, uh, conspiracy theories, stuff like that. And so, yeah, the theghostdiaries.com is a good place to find my stuff. And then uh, March 2020, uh, uh, people should look for the uh, Lisa Lamb book. I think it's tentatively titled uh, uh, Dark Waters at this point, kind of a one letter different than the films, which were called yeah, Dark Water. And uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully I'll have you know more, ep- more updates soon on the progression of, of the documentary. And uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on. Well, when you do have some updates, definitely come. Hope you you'll come back. I'd love to come back. Yeah, it's a it is a mind-boggling case. <laughs> it I'm really is. In awe. <laughs> Whenever is. people talk about it, I'm just uh, <laughs> I don't know but what it's, to it's, think. It's really it, it entails just a lot of different facets in regard to conspiracy, paranormal. Well, it's all three, right? Mind. As you pointed out, I mean, it it could be any of the three. It could be homicide, you know, it could be mental illness, or it could be a conspiracy theory of some kind. Yes. Or, it, or it could be all three. Yes. Yeah. It could be it a combination. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> well, Ron, uh, that was another thrilling episode. Uh, however, however, before we go off. Yes. Yes. I want to. Trying to keep it yeah. to an hour. <laughs> okay, I know. But what about that uh, Camp Paranoia situation? Yeah, so um, I'm contemplating uh, this summer having a little get-together out of Camp Paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um, more details to follow, but uh, maybe have some uh, par- big Paranoia fans come out and have a few people who know some stuff. And uh, we'll camp out for the weekend and, and have a yeah. chit-chat. I think Richard yeah. Allen Miller will come. Oh, if he'll come, yeah. Richard Allen Miller is always invited. Yeah. He is the only guy that completely blew my mind. <laughs> I, I had no words. We, we should have him back on. We, Once we he had, used to come get on. Him, get him back on. I, I want to go back on this. The woman who, who they, he found her head in the Everglades, and then she died two hours later. And <laughs> I, I got to hear the moon pot. I want the moon pot story. Yes. Oh, that, that, yeah. That, we that. didn't get the moon pot last time. I want the yeah, uh, lunar pot. cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it moon yeah. pot. Yeah. Moon pot. You and your cannabis yeah. thing. It's moon pot, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he was saying, you know what this is? It's, it's moon pot. And I'm going, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um we do we do have a new ep- uh episode we do have a new issue that is eminent um 
had some technical difficulties, but I should have those rectified this okay. week. We need Good. to do some editing and find a cover, which Ron is working on. As yes, I should have it this week. I should Excellent. Have and then we'll have a new, uh, new issue of the magazine. Um, more fun to come. Please keep listening. If you dig the podcast, uh, definitely rate it well on iTunes or wherever you find it. Um, we are on Stitcher and iTunes and all that stuff, even Alexa. And uh, I, I, I have an Alexa myself, and I did turn it off so that they cannot record my conversations, at least not with my authorization. Yeah. <laughs> and they published some instructions on how to do that. Those but assholes. If you, but if you, do, if you do have an Alexa, uh, you can disable that. And you can also say, Alexa, play the Paranoia podcast, and it will play it. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Paranoia Magazine, Instagram, Paranoia Mags, uh, Twitter is Paranoia Mag, though most of the stuff's on Instagram. And, of course, ParanoiaMagazine.com. Ron? Well, folks, take good care and keep the faith. And, uh, as I always say, be excellent to one another. And uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com We are resuming control. For now.